today on the Rita Mimi Do It Show. I believe being strategic with how you interact and what you do does not make you inauthentic, right? I think that, 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 and we oftentimes will hear that, right? Like when I, when I, you know, I always say like every digital action you take, every post you like, every group you belong to, every app you, no matter what it is, every digital action you take is part of telling your story. It's an element of your footprint. It's the, it's the thing that will, you know, that ultimately builds up to your first impression, your reputation, the, the bigger um, march. But I think, I think one of the, I love the way that you positioned that question too, because I think one of the, the things that we think about is, you know, how are we showing up authentic, right? Or how, what is the, and, and I think this is where, like, for me, the word transparency always comes into the conversation because I, I believe part of being authentic is you have to know what you don't know and like allow people in to just like, kind of like, Hey, this is, and, and I think this is where I, it, it always, and it's really why I talk about it a lot because I don't ever want it to become a marketing buzzword and it's been thrown around plenty of times as a buzzword. But the thing about authenticity, it does not guarantee trust. Authentic, and you're transparent about it. It just makes us allow us to realize you're a jerk earlier than we would have, right? Because of Rita, I got on the news. Because of Rita, I had 15 speaking engagements last year. Because of Rita, I've become a six-figure business owner. Because, because of Rita, because of Rita, Rita I've doubled my revenue by doubling my clients. I'm Rita, business strategist, speaker, and success coach. Also known as the gal who went on 35 dates in 35 days and blogged all about it. And this is the Rita Mimi Do It Show where every week I bring you the real information about what it takes to go all in on your dreams so that you can build a profitable business and live a positive life. Some weeks I'll have a guest and others it'll be just you and me, like we're out on my deck sharing a bottle of wine. The conversation, yeah, it'll be that real. Hey, Brian, I'm so glad you're here. Do you know the show Gilmore Girls? I do. I, I am okay. from my yes. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here because I talk really fast and you talk really fast. <laughs> and I've always wanted a guest that talks as quickly as I yes, do. Yes, team fast talkers. We are yeah. we are united. So for the audience, do not listen at one and a half speed. We sound like Mickey Mouse <laughs> and Minnie Mouse, right? Like I actually wrote that down. I was like, look, uh, you might want to slow it down, guys. The fast talking really bothers you because there's not going to be a, a slowdown in this one. But it'll be as good as the Gilmore Girl episode where in like an hour they get in two hours worth of show. Like, so I say, when you listen faster, we get more value. So why not? <laughs> well, I want you, I want to start off by you telling me about you at age seven. And I'll tell you why I'm asking that later. But I want to know about Brian Fanzo at age seven. Ooh, that's, I, I, I've never got that as a first question on a podcast. And I've been interviewed, you know, 200 plus podcasts. So kudos, nicely done. <laughs> thank uh, you, thank you. Age seven, I was the oldest brother uh, to two younger brothers. So I had uh, two younger brothers in Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. I had just got into T-ball. So T-ball and uh, kind of baseball was my first love. Um, my dad was a candy salesman um, and uh, traveled Monday through Friday. And that first year he wanted to coach our team. And uh, the story goes, of course, uh, is that uh, he couldn't, they told him that they had to have practice during the week. And, he, and they said, well, unless you're the commissioner of the league, you can't change that. And so he's like, who's the commissioner of the league? They're like, well, we don't have one right now. He became the commissioner of the league so he could uh, 
changed the times uh, of the, the days of the week for coaching my my t-ball team and I, and I will say he coached every sports team uh, I was a part of and through high school and a lot of the times he had to become the commissioner to do so because he uh, traveled Monday through Friday but yeah I was oldest brother um, I think it was also the start probably you know I have you know I have a 10 year old a nine year old and a six year old and I see in my six year old uh, the ability to know the power of my words and my ability to be curious and where that leads me. And I think that for me as a seven-year-old, that was, that was Brian as a seven-year-old uh, and having a younger brother that was 14 months younger than me. So we were very you know, like Irish twins. Um, and then my youngest brother who was pr- uh, three years old back then. So uh, ooh, I love that question though. It's a, so I'll tell you why I asked that question. So there was a study. I'll have to find it to put it in the show notes. But there was a study that was done that said you are at your most authentic self at age seven because you have grown into yourself enough, but you don't yet care so much about what other people think of you. And so they say that if you really want to tap into who your authentic you is, think about yourself at age seven and then see how close you are to that person or how far away you've gotten. Right. So in terms of like like when I was age seven, I so I'll. I'll I'll just like make this about me for a minute. So when I was age seven, I loved, surprise, surprise, talking and speaking. I was like the head of of our school play, Telly the Tooth or whatever. Like I was just Miss Drama Queen. I would come down the stairs like dressed up in my mom's clothes and like like with a Fisher Price tape recorder and I'd go hit it, right? And then I would like (laughs) sing a song. So I, but a couple of years ago, I was feeling really disconnected from what I was doing. And I, I, was, I couldn't understand why. And when I dug into it, my business my, uh, had grown so quickly that year. I stopped speaking. I stopped mm. taking speaking gigs because I was doing so much client work and behind the scenes and client coaching calls, which I love too. But the minute I was like, I heard about that study and I was like, that's it. I'm not speaking. I'm not performing. I'm not using the skills that I loved when I was seven. And I tapped right back into it and boom, everything like started flowing back in. I love that. I love that. I, you know, as you're saying that, I think about my two daughters, right, uh, that are over seven years old now. And I'm very blessed. All three of my girls, um, you know, I, part of, you know, part of my mantra and like, you know, it really hit me in, two, in 2013 um, was just this ability of being yourself always, right, unapologetically yourself. And it's something I've tried to instill in my daughters. And my, my parents uh, did a really great job of that without ever really like spelling it out. And so I think we like we're left to like, figure that out. My brothers and I, and we all three went in different paths, yet my dad had this candy business that every one of my friends assumed would be where I would follow in line. And none of his three sons did, but not because he didn't want us to, but his goal was to allow us to discover what we wanted to discover. And if it led to becoming, you know, in the family business, we could have, uh, have done so. And so I've been a little bit more purposeful with my daughters in, um, you know, celebrating. I, I, funnily enough, I'm wearing a "Be Yourself" shirt right now, which was definitely not the not the the that wasn't set up. I promise. But um, <laughs> but you know, in a lot of the things I do with my daughters is celebrating. You know, my middle one was recently diagnosed ADHD, like I am. So I talk about a lot about the things that we have in common, like her and I have in common, but also the things that we have that allow us to be different and unique. Um, and I was thinking about that. Uh, each of them is seven years old, and I love that. I love everything about that. Right. My my mom likes to say I came out of the womb talking, right? Like she'll, she says that she's like, yeah, you didn't really, you haven't really shut up since uh, you came out of the womb talking. And, and you know, in all contexts, my dad is a talker. My dad um, is actually much more of a talker than I am. I'm an extrovert. 
but I hate forced conversation. So like on the airplane, I don't talk to anybody. I go to the the the, the dad party, you know, with the, the kids party, and everyone goes with a grill and talks about the weather. I want to pull my hair out and and then they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm like professional speaker, social media. They're like what? Or people on the airplane, like that blows their mind because I just don't like that forced conversation now granted we find a common ground i'll talk the entire flight you know to and from uh scotland and i use that as an example from one time that happened but um my dad's always been a talker my dad's been a storyteller you know, every time he got home from a trip he would tell us pretty much the life story of the person that sat next to him in first class right like that was always my dad's way of doing it and uh yeah i think the seven-year-old in me like i i love that i love and i even think about that as where that will lead my daughters I, i'm very proud dad in that sense and if 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 their true authentic self was when they were seven years old and my my youngest turned seven in two weeks, um, okay, cool. I would be a proud dad. I think that that to me they they embody so much of that pure joy and innocence and carefree. And you know, I took them to a couple um, the march here, uh, the Black Lives Movement march here in my local area, and just hearing them ask questions and them pursue not only dialogue, but pursue other things that I didn't expect. Um, you know, it made me very proud. So yeah, I love that. I love this. I love where you went with this. Yeah. See, see, I know I got, I got some idea of what I want to talk to nice, you about. I like today. it. But you know, it's really neat because it, it ties into that idea that um, I think it was James Altucher who, who said this to me one day, but he was like, you know, as children, we are taught to think in question marks. So we think, or we do, we think in question marks, right? But then as we like kind of pass that age seven mark, we are starting, we, we get taught to think in periods, right? And so mm. questioning anything, think of periods. And so I love that you were talking about like the curious nature and the innocence and the inquisitiveness, right? Because I think that that's something we lose right around that time. And I think that's where we start losing our authenticity a little bit when the world starts saying, no, 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 you should think in absolutes. You should think in periods. We need to have definitions. We need to have the roadmap instead of like being a kid and making a spaceship out of a cardboard box and like pretending you're going to the moon and asking like, what else can I do? What else can I do? Now it's like, no, this is what I do. This is who I am. You see what I'm saying? Like, yes. it's, it's very interesting. Have you heard of something called authentic relating games? Have you heard of those? Um, I have, and I'm trying to think where that, it might've actually been through my partner, Jennifer, she might've brought it up. Um, but I, I have, but it was in, it was in context from, from a previous dialogue. Okay, cool. So I used to, so I used to be a dating coach and I had a date coaching friend. I mean, he's still my friend. He just doesn't live. So we're in the same area. I'm up in Northern Virginia, yep. in Centerville. And, um, he lived here in this area. Jeffrey Platts was his name and he used to host, uh, authentic, relating. And one of the exercises, so all of those are about being super uncomfortable and just getting to real relationships and authentic relationships with people, right? And one of the exercises was you had to sit across from somebody that you didn't know, and you had like a minute to just ask some questions. But you were not allowed to ask a question you did not truly care about the answer to, right? So you're oh. not allowed to say like, so how are you? Right. <laughs> or like, I mean, unless you really care. But like, what do you do? Or what's the weather like? You know how people like warm oh, yes. up with like small talk? You couldn't warm up. You had ah. to like go right to the real question. And I found that that when people did that, they asked me totally different things. 
than when um, they, you know, they kind of warmed up, which is why on my podcasts, I tend to have no warm up. Like I jump right to what I want to get to because yep. I think it gets us to where we're trying to go a lot. Love quicker, it. Right. Yeah. So then let's talk about authenticity a little bit, because that is something that you're talking about a lot. And, you know, we came across each other again. We've come we've crossed paths a few times, but we've crossed each other's paths mo- most recently in Clubhouse. And so I hear you talking about that a lot in authenticity and and what it means to really be yourself and especially in the term in the context of social media and business. And I'm curious, do you think that authenticity and social media can really, really, truly coexist when there's always like an end game with what you're using social media for as a business owner? Do you know what I mean? Like you're always trying to manipulate something. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you're always trying to get a certain outcome from your, or at least you you should have a goal for when you're right. on social media as an entrepreneur, guys. Like, you know, that's where you're losing all your time if you don't. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, yes. Can it really be authentic, do you think? So my answer is yes. And the reason I believe that is because I believe being strategic with how you interact and what you do does not make you inauthentic, right? I think that, 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 and we oftentimes will hear that, right? Like when I, when I, you know, I always say like every digital action you take, every post you like, every group you belong to, every app you, no matter what it is, every digital action you take is part of telling your story. It's an element of your footprint. It's the, it's the thing that will, you know, that ultimately builds up to your first impression, your reputation, the, the bigger um, march. But I think, I think one of the I love the way that you've you've positioned that question too because I think one of the the things that we think about is you know how are we showing up authentic right or how what is the and and I think this is where like for me the word transparency always comes into the conversation because I I believe part of being authentic is you have to know what you don't know and like allow people in to just like kind of like hey this is and, and I think this is where I it always and it's really why I talk about it a lot because. I don't ever want it to become a marketing buzzword and it's been thrown around plenty of times as a buzzword. But the thing about authenticity, it does not guarantee trust. If you are authentic and you're transparent about it, it just makes us allow us to realize you're a jerk earlier than we would have. Right. Right? Like, and I think that's where like I and I and I will say sometimes when someone will 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 introduce me or call me brian's the most authentic person i know if you believe in that authenticity stuff right like they'll like they'll like love to like and i and i always took that as like this like it was scary for them for for them to realize what i'm doing and who i'm being and for me i think that's kind of the beauty of authenticity and we've seen it kind of emerge in social recently now of course we've also seen marketers try to take advantage of it, right? With vulnerability and a lot of these things where all of a sudden these brands are posting things about like that they care about, you know, all these different things. They've never cared. It's never been in their value statement. Some agency told them they are missing the mark and they did it. And I think the thing that I look at, like the beauty of authenticity is it is how you live your day all day, every day. Right. And the reason I preach it is because I don't believe I could do all of the things I do, all the content, all the things I do in my life, if I if I wasn't living that way, online, offline, everything I do, because I tried the other way, right? I, I mentioned this before, November 2nd, 2013 was like my aha moment of like, holy crap, Brian, you're trying to create content for what, other, what you think other people want. And you're trying to show up how you believe other people want you to show up. And it was so much work. I hated social media, hated content. I was about to delete my, my first podcast after one year. I was about to end my first Google Hangout uh, show that I had. It ended up growing to 340 some uh, episodes. And for me, it was because of that. It was so much hard work. And so I challenge people that you, know, you might look, you might believe, hey, I'm being authentic and everything I'm posting, everything I'm doing. But I think 
you can be authentic and be strategic, right? You can be authentic and have a plan and, and have a process. And I also believe how you're showing up authentic can be very individual to each person, right? Like I'm a computer science major, so I'm a big fan of like risk versus reward, right? Like don't talk about this because if it's if the risk outweighs the reward, it's probably not a good time for you to share it, right? And it sounds basic, but I'm always amazed when I get somebody to do a risk first reward and we actually, you know, draw the line down and do it on each side. How many people are like, oh, now I know what you mean by that, right? Like I'm I don't want and I think the authenticity where it's like, well, you know, I we even see people put in their in their bio, right? Like they'll say, they'll say, I'm a jerk, or you know, I'm such such you know, and they're like, it's because I'm authentic. And I'm like, it's cool, but like showing up authentic as that will always lead to that, right? Like it's it's like a weird, like, oh, if I if I own that I am a jerk and I am, you know, I have this like, you know, persona, then maybe, maybe people are gonna like treat me different. It's like, no, we're gonna we're just gonna you know, take that at face value. So I think um, I think it's something that we have to educate more on. I think it's also, I would challenge us all to celebrate those that we know are authentic in everything they do, right? Like there are people that you're like, oh, I love their Instagram. I love what they show up. But when you, when you interact with them the rest of their day, their life, their world, they are a different person, right? And they are, the, the persona that they have built comes across as authentic. It does not make them authentic in who they are. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I love that. And, you know, uh, the whole concept of the the businesses that are showing up in marketing saying we care about this these are our values but they've never mentioned it before right my uh my buddy Rachel Albers says that that's dystopian marketing right like and i mean i don't know if you've been watching her account yes. but, like she is totally like going to town yes, on these you know like shout out you Rachel cuz you are awesome um but yeah like and i think that that's so true and and that concept of be so when I was starting my podcast, I had a podcast mentor, Elsie Escobar. She runs, uh, she podcasts. So okay, oh, yeah. Huge I, yeah. I know and her so, well. So she, uh, you know, one of the exercises she does is she makes you go through, I mean, you could do this for your whole life. She makes you just do it for a year. But like, you're looking and tracing every show you watch, every book you read, every food you like, every, like every single thing that happens in your life or that you do to find the common through line. And when you do that, it's amazing how you really can. Yep. And you start finding out like, Oh, this is me. Like, cause you don't realize, you know, that every little thing, like you said, is really a footprint of who you are, including your social media sites. And so it's a really interesting, like, um, there's an app called Memento that will track oh, yeah. a lot of that. And yep. so like you can kind of see it in review. And um, I, I found that really fascinating. And so if people are like, well, I don't know, like start doing an inventory of it. Start like recording the music you like and the food you like and the conversations you're drawn to and the people you're drawn to, you'll start seeing your common. Because I think th that's my next question is like, we talk about authenticity and we talk about being authentic and how to be you. But I think a lot of people are like, I don't, how, how do I know if I'm being authentic? How do I know who right. the real me is? What does it mean to be yourself? How would you answer that question? Well, that's a great one, right? Because I think, uh, I think there's a lot of things that we do, a lot of ways that we live that are disguised as us being ourselves, right? Like, and, and I live this, and I'm, I'm speaking from a place, like I'm, I'm very extroverted. I'm very outgoing. I'm very confident in who I am. And I had like a blind belief that meant I was self-aware. <laughs> like I was like, Oh, I like, I, and then all of a sudden I started breaking down, like all like, Hey, what are the things you're good at? What are the things you're not good at? Where do you spend your time? What are the things that you love doing? You know, what are those through lines? You know, funny enough, I have a notebook on my, uh, on my coffee table right now. And the last three years, I have every show that I've watched, binge watched. Um, and I have, I kind of do like my own thing where I do 
what was my first impression? Why did I go to watch it? Um, and then I talk I kind of usually just some general notes in between. And then like, was my first impression correct? Was it, did I get what I think it was out of it? Right. Like what were the, and a lot of that is like me being like a marketer, like what are the thumbnails that Netflix use? But it's also part of that is that self-awareness, right? Like what am I drawn to? And, and I, and I, I have like, I take a little bit of a, this happened last night on clubhouse, but I take a little bit of a, a, a disconnect when someone's like, Oh, if you have, a, if you're not making $20,000 a month, you should have a TV in your house. Right. And I'm like, well, well, that's because you blindly believe that what you consume on TV does not make you better. It does also does not play into our self-care and a lot of those things. But when I think when I, when I, I think one of the big problems when someone says be yourself, right. It, it, it comes across so easy. And so like, of course, like who the hell else would I be? Like, I mean, like, duh, like, and I hear that. Like, I see it in audiences. Like, I can get like 5,000 people to nod at the same time, right? Like, oh, like be yourself. They're like, yes. And then I'm like, okay. And the first place you start with that is you have to start owning your story and your vulnerabilities and your insecurities and the things about you that only certain people know. And I'm not saying to share all of them, but owning them, right? Like taking, taking account of them. And that's usually where the work begins, right? Like it work begins in, in that piece. And I think even part of what my past life was, was growing these teams. You know, I had a team of 32 direct reports, hundred and some people running a cybersecurity team, right. For the U S government. And one of the things that I, people would come to me like, why are you so good at this? Right. And we live in Northern Virginia. Everyone does something in the government contracting space, it seems, but some people, they would like, I had, I, mean, I spoke at the joint chiefs of staff, these leadership would come and like, what are you good at? And I was like, honestly, what I'm good at is helping people realize what they're not good at. And then I surround them with those people. I, I, I'm not like a master at like, they're like, man, Brian, you, you bring this person in this. And I'm like, yeah, cause I figured out this person is not good at this. And for this team to success, we, we need that skill set, Right. And so I do believe, you know, I, I would, I'll preach it forever now because I don't think I owned it for a long time, but I believe self-awareness and, and self-awareness on a regular basis, right? Like not only checking in with what you watch, what you consume, but who do you influence, who do you allow to influence your decisions? Like one of my things uh, for 2021, I started in 2020 and it started to work well, but it got a little out of control, was documenting everything that I'm influenced to do, who or what influenced me to do it. And I'm like very methodical. I'm like, I listen to this podcast or I watch this or I heard about this success because I love reverse engineering, but oftentimes we don't have enough data to like reverse engineer ourselves. Um, but I think that that place, you know, of like, hey, like, we have to put ourselves out there. And the other part about being yourself is you don't really know what works or how people perceive you until you start putting it out there and asking for feedback and being willing to listen, right? Like probably the most important piece of being yourself is listening, not for what you want to hear, but listening for everything that comes in, right? And and that to me has allowed me, like, I mean, my I have ADHD, and and for the longest time, I owned the fact I did. I talked about it very openly, but I didn't help the people that I worked with work with my ADHD. And so the, I would I would build have these people on my team, and I'd be like, they're like, Brian, I really wish you'd get back to your email, you know, get back to me on this email or whatever it may be. And I was like, oh well, I want you to <laughs> nudge me on text message or on Instagram stories. And I laughed because Rita, you did a great job on that to get me on onto the show, and. <laughs> And to that point, like once you own who you are, it's now upon you to help people work with you best. And that is where the magic happens. Because there's a lot of people that can look in the mirror and say they know who they are. But if they're not helping others work with them and they're not putting that story out there, all it does is make them feel as they're never understood. And that to me is like, if I just say like my life's work, 
is making people not feel alone. Making people like if you like underwater basket weaving, you like doing it in your socks. I can probably find you a Reddit community of people that love doing that as well. Right. And I think that is the beauty of the world we're living in today, but it, it does take a lot of things. And, and, and I think this is, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful space we're in and as divided as we are, I think 2020 taught us one thing more than anything else is that we are a hell of a lot more alike than we are different and our differences are what brings us together. And I think if we can be okay with that and sit in that for a minute, there's some magic that we can kind of make out of this. Yeah, you know, though, that whole listening to hear what is really being said instead of what you're wanting, that taps into probably the biggest fear of every of everybody, right? Which is that I'm not perfect, right? Like, I mean, a perfectionist's worst nightmare. And a lot of people, I just want confuse per, I want to put this out here because it came up in my last podcast interview that I had too, which is a lot of people confuse perfectionism with excellence. And those are totally different things. It's You can be excellent at something. And in fact, you should strive to be excellent at things. But perfectionism is different. Perfectionism means you want to be the best. Like if when I was a lawyer, I would want to be the best lawyer that I could be, but I would be terrified to become a judge because if I became a judge, now I'm at the bottom of the next square. I, I don't know what I'm doing and I'll get criticism. I'll get feedback. I'll gr- And so perfectionists, limit their life, right, in, until they're living in this little box because they can't be bad or they can't get this criticism at or critique at what they do. And so when people start saying, hey, like, listen to really hear, I think the perfectionist inside people go, but I, I can't hear that because then that means I'm wrong, right? Like, right. that means I've been wrong or I've been bad. Or I, so how can someone bad? Because almost everybody, I think, has a touch of perfectionism hiding in there somewhere. How can someone be open to hear that and incorporate it and not let it trigger their, so I've been wrong this whole time. Everything that I've believed has been wrong. It, you know, How can they make themselves right and also be okay with change, right? Yes. How, how, yeah, yeah I, love, I love where you went on this because this is definitely like, you know, for me, press the damn button, the podcast I host, the book that I write, um, the two rules, the two, like the fibers of that being a press the damn button is you must embrace that perfection is a fairy tale. Um, it is not achievable. It is not the opposite of done because I, I, that even bothers me when someone says that, because then you're, you're still believing that that is something that you should achieve. And I think you, I love the way you kind of brought that because what scares most people in that idea is the unknown, right? Like, the, what scares people about like public speaking, the number one fear you know, out there forever. And part of it is not the idea of the act of speaking. And it's not the topic. It's the unknown variables of how am I going to be judged? What are going to happen? What are people going to take and do with that? Right. And I think that unknown is usually what, what works against us. And then my second role. So first one is perfection is a fairy tale. The second one is control is an illusion. We can only control ourselves. Right. And you can you hit both of them because if you can, Embrace that perfection is a fairy tale. Like, and I use that, like, I, I like the, the fairy tale, like, vision of it because for me, I, I do have, like, kind of like a process that says, I'm going to get things out there and I might be a little bit messy, but I'm going to own that. Right. And I think, you know, when we talk about like consistency and a lot of those other things that are out there, that perfectionist in us will not only prevent us from taking action, but it will also have us second guessing us. It'll have us judging ourselves. And like, uh, I mean, my partner, she is a perfectionist, like without questions, she's an on-camera meteorologist. Um, and just has like, it's been not only instilled in her, but even a lot of the feedback she's always gotten, she was a gymnast. Her goal was a 10, right? And I, it was actually funny. I was watching um, a, a Netflix show last night um, about figure skating. I played hockey in college, love hockey, love, like, love the ice. And one of the quotes that someone said in this you know, random drama that's on Netflix, 
uh, is she said like, uh, as she was coaching for figure skating, she's like, your goal is to get a 10, but the 10 you get each time is not the exact same 10 because you are not trying to be perfect. You are trying to execute what you're doing. And I was like, think like that, that is part of it. Right. And so for me, I think one of the things that can really help us in this perfectionist is managing expectations, not only for yourself, but for your audience. Right. And like, I can't tell you how helpful this is for me, right? Whenever I created a, my first podcast, I was like, they want me to do an episode every week on the same day of the week and release at the same time. And like, I believe in consistency, but I also know as a multi-hyphenated ADHD, I, consistency is something I struggle with, right? And what I did was rather than like allowing that to paralyze me from getting started, I said, you know what? Very first episode, I'm just going to say, here's the thing. You're going to get content every week from me. If I don't have something to say that week, you're not going to get something from me. But I'm going to promise you that if I do grab the microphone and I hit record, it'll be worth your time. And so I'll even say like, go into your podcast settings and don't say like, um, if, if, this, if there's no new show in a month, like remove from my subscriptions, right? Because like I'm managing expectations, but holy cow, did that give me that permission, right? Like that forgiveness, that permission, like, hey, that's, that's just who it is, right? And I think we can do that in everything. Like one of my favorite things to tell people is like, I believe every website should have an I don't know page of just things that we don't know, right? Like, because if you are trying to convince your audience that you know everything, the first thing they realize is you are full of crap, right? Because they know that no one knows everything, right? And so like, I think, you know, and live video taught me a lot of this. I remember working with a lot of executives on live video and I was like, you want to add validity to what you're talking about? And they're like, yes. I'm like, answer the questions you don't know the answer to with, I don't know. And they're like, well, Brian, I thought you were going to help me like, you know, can you know, convey my authority, be an expert in the space. And I was like, I am. And, and by, by you saying, I don't know, it now actually adds validity to the things that you are saying that you do know. Right. And that, that like little twist can help in so many ways. Right. And I think, you know, I, I think there's also something to be said about just re- owning your perfectionism. Right. Like, I mean, Jennifer, I, I love having a partner that, that, that embraces it and owns it. And she'll like, she'll nudge me and be like, Brian, um, I, I didn't do this or I'm doing this. And um, like, and it's not usually like talk me off the ledge, but it's like, I know that I'm setting this up and I'm, and I'm putting this container around it because I want to control it. I want to, I, I don't want to have anything that's unknown around it. I want it to be delivered and I want the execution of it to be exactly what I want. But I will tell you this, the thing that, that I also always tell people is that if you can change or pivot or innovate, whatever, when you're when you approach change, it is not the result of the things you've done wrong, rather the result of everything you've done that allows you to go where you need to go. And if you are a perfectionist, that you've limited all of these beautiful things that exist, right? And and we instill it in our kids, right? Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And like, we need you to have a four point to get in the co- you're like all of these things that that build up. But I I think if we can allow us to realize that not only is failure a learning example, but all of these things that we were doing in our perfection journey, that we get to a place where we're no longer going to be perfect, have now made us stronger at going after what we want, right? And I think I think we oftentimes assume change is only the result of bad behavior. And I believe change is the result of all behaviors. Well, I love what you said around, um, you know, so I love the concept of push the damn button. I, I mean, to, I love so much of what you said, but the concept of, of push the damn button and, and then you saying, look, Done is not the opposite of perfect, right? Where you hear done is better than perfect. And they, they, a lot of people don't realize that procrastination and 
perfectionism really are, they go hand in hand. I'll get a lot of clients that say, no, Rita, no, no, no. I'm not a perfectionist. I can put things out and get it done. It's just, I'm I'm a procrastinator. Correct. I procrastinate. Right? And there's something called dramatic procrastination. And so I was a huge dramatic procrastinator in college and law school. And what this was, because I was a perfectionist. And what this was, right, was let's say that we had a paper. I remember in political science, I had to write a paper on the Weimar Republic or something like that, right? Like it was political science. And it, it, it involved reading a huge book and writing like a 30-page paper. I literally waited till the day before that paper was due to start writing it. Like I was just skimming yep. through the book, like coming up with points, like writing this paper, stayed up all night, ran the paper down. I literally ran it to the mailbox, put it in right at the like last minute. And then I got a C on it. And I was like, see, I got a C. Like if I had had all the time in the world to work on it, then I would have gotten an A, right? And like, no, like I, that was just my justification. Because if I had really worked on it the whole time and still gotten a C, then the perfectionist Rita would have been like, terrified, right? But by creating a situation where I could blame it on something else and say, see, I didn't do perfect because, and this is why a lot of people who procrastinate to do something and then they put it out there and they're like, well, done is better than perfect or whatever. It's like, no, you're just terrified that you would have taken all the time and still it would have come out in the same quality. You have to let that go. And I love the idea of just push the damn button, just get it out there. But okay, so let's tie that into content a little bit. Yes. Because there's push the damn button and put out something meaningful and good. Yes. And then people that are just pushing the damn button because they're like, well, I just have to do it, to do it, to do it, to do it. So how can people be getting out something in the moment, but still making sure it's like strategic and yes. purposeful and, and valuable? So, I mean, I, I've, I've said it for a while, I need to create a whole course of why you should stop pressing the damn button. Like literally just like, because I, I think that's been a, a, a like a, a necessary evil. And I think Press the damn button, but pause first. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and I think honestly, press the damn button does not mean content for content's sake or putting out things at random, you know, uh, intervals. I think for me, a lot of what press the damn button was, you know, stop waiting until you believe you're at a place to start, right? And then like, I'm a big believer, like you don't know what works until it, you try it. But then the thing about press the damn button, I think is probably overlooked. And, and, and this is why we kind of even doubled back in one of the chapters was about like, hey, once you realize something works, your job now is to lean into it and be strategic about how you press the button, when you press. The, I mean, I'm a computer science major. I use analytics and data in everything I do, but I, I, I set myself up to be able to leverage those things in the format that I do, right? And so I, like, that comes in, into account with you know, managing expectations. And so for me, a lot of press the damn button is like, hey, you want to start covering a new topic or you want to, like there's something that really excites you, like putting it out there and then seeing what that feedback is. And honestly, sometimes it's deleting the thing that you press the damn button on. Like, like don't be, like, that's not a mistake. Like there's a lot of things that like, when people are like, oh man, like here's a lot. Of, I'm like, yeah, the things that are out there, are the things I even left out there, the things that I deleted are the things that like, you know, it's, it's, you know, where they say, you know, the movie, what's on the floor of the, you know, of the production house is really the things that is the, you know, it's not the unedited version. Like the unedited version is still the version that was edited and made it to some level. And then we're willing to let people see that. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing with press the damn button is that for so many, like, I mean, I believe we all have a story to tell. I believe we all, but we also all consume differently, right? We also all create differently, right? And and like, I love creating video. I create a lot of video, a lot of live video. I do not consume much video. Like I, I love TV. I've been watching TV. But like when it comes to consuming like knowledge, and it's all podcasts for me. I'm a podcast, I've been a podcast listener and it, it's 
part of my ADHD lets me, you know, kind of multitask in my own way. But like, even to your point, like, I love where you went with like the procrastination, right? Because we are really good at giving ourselves crutches that allow us to like, oh, well, that happened because of this or, you know, and like for me, part of my procrastination, even on my, my LinkedIn profile, like one of the things you can say is Brian's a master procrastinator. Like literally you can, you can vouch for my procrastination skills. And part of my procrastination skills was my commitment to hating process. Like, like I hated process so bad that I was like, if I push everything off to the end, it does not allow process to be implemented and then I can execute. Right. And honestly, I, what I learned about this, and this is kind of a nice segue is I learned that I was not looking forward to learning process because now that I've embraced, I like process. Like I, it's not that I, like, I and I'm like a swim lanes guy where I like, don't give me rules. I'll break them, but you give me some swim lanes and give me some space to be myself in there. I'll go finish the race every single time. And so for me, that's where I press the damn button is like kind of beautiful because like I interviewed a bunch of TikTokers and, and, I, and my focus was people in non-traditional influential places, right? So doctors, lawyers, um, medical teachers, uh, military, police officers, all that. And so many of them are like, I never thought of myself as a creator, never considered myself a storyteller. Didn't even really know what the word content was. Like that to me is like, man, you know, they're like, I hate the concept of branding because that sounds like something that like I have to pay for something to do. But they are like, I found my tribe. I found my people. I realized that people could relate with me more I put myself out there, right? And they will say things like, well, I danced so I didn't have to talk and I could just jump on a trend. So I didn't even have to be creative because I'm not creative. Like that's what they would say. And then they were like, well, then once I jumped on the trend and people liked it, then I like added more of my own personality. Then all of a sudden I got rid of the music. I started adding my own voice in there. And all of a sudden I realized I had something to say. My audience was out there and I could connect. And I think like, I mean, hate or love TikTok. What TikTok has proven is that when you can start by finding your people and that people that look like you, right? Like, I mean, that's why I say like relatability is the future of marketing. It is all about relatability. And unfortunately, all of these social networks, all of them, have taken relatability out of the equation, right? Like it is not about relatability. It's about whose content do they believe that is going to serve up the best reaction for you. And that doesn't really mean that it's relatable. And so I think that relatability piece, like, so if when we to trip this back to what you asked, I think with press the damn button, it's about like finding what works, leaning into it, and then understanding you don't have to be an expert in it. You don't even have to be the smartest. It's your unique perspective is what people relate to. And that is where the magic is, especially right now. I like that you're, you're talking, you're really talking about like editing. So this is going to tie into the next kind of area I wanted to get in with you. So it's perfect. But like the idea of just starting, just starting and, and editing as you go, right? Refining as you go. And so for those people who are procrastinators or perfectionists, one of the best exercises that they can do is to get comfortable with unfinished projects. Like, so for, per, for perfectionists, this is terrifying, right? So it's like the idea that you can start a book and you don't have to finish it, right? You right. can start a painting you don't have to finish it. Like this drove my husband crazy. I was <laughs> trying to break out of perfectionist read. It was like just a lot of unfinished projects until I got okay with it. But I see this in the area of entrepreneurship. And I know that this is a big subject of yours with people like, 
I have to know my niche and my ideal client and I have to have it perfect before I can get out there and start my business and start finding it. But like I always say the only way you're really going to find it is by getting out there and serving people and doing things and figuring out what you love and how to do it, right? And so you though have an even more interesting take on that, which is you call yourself and you used this word before, multi-hyphenate, right? But I literally did not know what that meant until I met you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is he talking about? And so I like Googled it and looked at, why don't you tell everybody what a multi-hyphenate is and why? Why it is that you refer to yourself like that? Sure. So, and I, I'll give you a little bit of the origin of that. Like I was um, my last year working for the U.S. government and I was speaking at the Pentagon and someone asked me like, Brian, we, we need more of you. And I was like, well, you need to hire more generalists. And I, it was the first time I ever said that like publicly on stage. And then for like the next year, I was trained, berated and talked down to at like, Brian, you just you just took away all the things that you were about. You just called yourself the jack of all trades, master of none. You just called yourself so sporadic and disconnected that like you don't really know anything. And then you just advised all these government people like that's what is is that value. And I was like, I, I was, I owned that general. Like I kind of like, I kind of wore like a scarlet letter in some cases. Like I was like, you know what? I'm a generalist. But then the more I realized that I even had a couple of clients say, Brian, I, I can't introduce you with that on stage because my audience is going to take it like that. We didn't do a good job researching. We couldn't find someone that knew what they were talking about. Um, and so I, I switched that into like this weird language, like CEO of team, no niche, no niche. Right. Like, and, and part of it came down to, this is all through my own practice, right? Like every, I mean, every step of my career always was told Brian, you have to find your niche, not find your niche, find your niche, find your niche. And I'd be like, okay, well then I, once I think I found it, I would like lean into it. And I would become less of myself. I would not enjoy it. I was not as successful. But the thing about it for me was that everyone was telling me the riches were in the niches or the, you know, like all that like narrative that I never looked at it by saying that the fact that I was told I have to find this was wrong. I just kept saying, Brian, you keep suck at picking the right niche. Like you are a horrible, like, I mean, I, I went through, I mean, books and reading and, and, and coaches and, and the interesting thing about it is each one of them would not take the, the requirement of a niche off the table, right? It was always that piece. And it was more of like one of those things of being very self-aware. And I owe a lot to that to my separation uh, in my marriage and kind of like being like alone with myself for the first time, right? And like living in this like, okay, like what does this new me look like? And how am I going to own this as I put myself out there? And I, what I really started to discover was that all of these, like these and I wouldn't even say limiting beliefs, but a lot of these controls and containers that I was being put into are the things that have always things that I've bucked against, right? Like even in school, when they like pick one major, I want to change my major every quarter. Like every, at the end of every semester, I'm like, ah, I'm business information systems, I'm web design. I'm, and it was just kind of who I've always been, right? And I think what I've, you know, where, where this has gone is there, there are a bunch of narrative around it, right? You have the Renaissance man, you have the polymath, you have the, you have the multi-hyphenate, multi-talented. Um, one a great TED talk to watch is about the multi-passionate uh, group. Um, and for me, that part of the problem is that there isn't one thing like, it's like find your niche and then a bunch of other things that kind of describe a whole bunch of things that you have going on. But the reason I like multi-hyphenated is that like, it isn't about being, you know, the master of, you know, master of all, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Rather, it's understanding that I have a passion and part of my value that I bring to the audience, and I don't like the word value, but I'm going to put that there, is my ability to provide a holistic view that no one with a siloed niche focus could ever uh, approach. And the caveat to this, for those that are listening to this, because I always want to, is I believe if you have a niche, 
you should own it, double down, make it your thing. But I also want you to remember evolve, right? Like, and I think, I think one of the things that we have to remember is that like owning effort to learn outside, I still think is extremely valuable. Right. And I think, I think it's one of those things. I mean, it's, it's definitely my number one passion right now is because I really want to help people like myself. And honestly, part of what I want to help people do that is kind of the magic is that by not putting that container on us or forcing ourselves to think that way, I believe we will end up finding what our niche becomes. Right. And I think um, that is something beautiful in this whole conversation, but it, we have a long way to go in it because and I always like to say like the person who invented like the riches is in the niches was someone that had a niche and wanted to everyone else to follow in their footsteps <laughs> on how they find success. Like, let's, let's yeah. be real. You know, I, I'll be honest. So when I started as a dating coach, right, I will say that I think I, I saw the value in finding a niche very quickly, but I think people define niche incorrectly sometimes. Correct. So like what, so like I, when I was trying to market to all singles to help them with all things, people were like, that's great. But I wasn't speaking to like a specific person that felt like I knew them. Right. So it, like right. when I when I started going to like divorced woman in her 40s dating for the first time since marriage, she was like, oh, my God, you get me. Whereas like the four, she's like, I don't want to make the same mistake. Uh, how do I take my time? How do I find the right person? 40 year old never married is like TikTok, TikTok. <laughs> I want a baby. It's not my fault. Why should I have to settle? Right. Like totally right. different talking to totally different people. But what I love is you kind of have found your through line, right? Because one way that you describe yourself a lot is you really just talk about embracing change, right? right. Like, and you can talk about that in a variety of industries, contexts, situations, plat like, but it's always coming back to kind of this like authenticity, embracing change, like your core message Correct. stays the same, right? Yep. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, just if anything, people out there, right? Like it doesn't have to be that you work with all lawyers or you work with all Correct. women or you work with- Right. And that's, I think that's what that niche question, because it's like knowing your target demographic and being the only thing you woke, you, you are known for, right? Like, and like, for me that, that you're know, like one of the limitations of, of living my version of it is you have to train people on how they can talk about what you do. If not, they, you, you lose out on word of mouth with which let's face it is the greatest way of marketing there is right. Like, and by not having a direct way to, for someone to talk about what you do, that, that can be very limiting. And I, I mean, I spent years with that, like, and it wasn't until I started asking people that said, I was like, well, you do a great job of like recommending me. And they're like, Brian, it's because of this, 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 and this, and I've spent this much time like knowing about you. And I was like, oh, like I have to like, so I think there's that, right? And I think there's also like knowing who you serve that also requires you to be empathetic to who they are, right? As a whole. And there are a whole human, right? Like I always, like it always, it's like a, it's a little bit of me is when someone's like, oh, that's the Facebook ad experts. Everything about Facebook's you talk to them. I'm like oh, Facebook ad expert. Like, so they only know that that is the, that is who they are. They wake up every day. They think about Facebook and you're like, you know, and you're like, Oh, what do you like to create? Like, I love podcasts. Right. I, 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 I my passion is, you know, spoken word, whatever it may be. And I think, I think that is, it's kind of like those, that yin and yang version of us. Um, and I will say like part of the beauty of this and where we're at now, and I like coaching, especially like the Gen Z, like youth right now is just owning Hey, where you are in that journey, and and also the idea that it's going to change, right? Like, I mean, like my my career. I mean, the high level is cybersecurity for the Department of Defense for nine years, yeah. and then give up my clearance, leave all of that because I was like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Chased my dream job, which was a technology evangelist for a startup modeled after Guy Kawasaki, what he did at Apple. 
quickly realizing I wasn't a tech evangelist. I was a change evangelist because I helped remove more tech than I helped implement it. <laughs> and then as soon as I left that, like trying out a, speak, a marketing agency, realizing a marketing agency life was not mine, like going all in on public speaking, all the while being very passionate, you know, working on the influencer marketing space. I played professional poker for many years, right? I'm a proud girl dad. Right? There's like a, and so like, for me, when I like look at all of that, like there is definitely a through line. And I think it's important to assess that, but it's also to realize every change that happens in your life is also going to impact that through line. Right. And I think that is so valuable. And I think that's where self-awareness has really helped me because now when I, when I see something changing, I can be very aware of where it's going to impact me, my people I love, my daughters, my life. Um, and it doesn't mean that I've figured out how to greatly like leverage that, but at least now I'm identifying it. Right. And I think that's, that's a big, that's a big theme with all of this. Well, how, so, okay. There's been a lot of change lately, yes. right? There's always change. I mean, there's always change. It feels like there has been an extreme amount of change due to the type of change that happened. Right. But so when you advise people or you help people like embrace the change, what does that mean in a tangible way? Because t change can be terrible, right? You talk, I mean, your whole history, right? Going from, I see the yogurt sign behind you, right? Yes. You're working part-time at your dad's yogurt store yep. right after school into like being a DJ at a roller rink, first yep. of all, like what, what, which roller rink, by the way? Was well, yeah, it was just in Virginia Beach. So it was at, yeah, oh, okay, Strong, Virginia Beach. Yeah, okay. yeah, Virginia Beach is when I went to high school. So yeah, right. I was down there. Yep. Yeah, I was, I mean, I lived my whole like existence, right? I'm a Gen Xer. I feel like we're the forgotten, we are the <laughs> forgotten generation, but like I basically lived my life at a roller rink. So I saw that and I was like, yes, you were the DJ at a roller rink. Like that's so cool. But then you got into cybersecurity and now you just went through that whole thing, right? right. And you've also, I mean, you've gone through relationship changes, you've gone through a variety and move it like a lot of just change in general, right? How do you tell somebody to embrace it when it can be the most terrifying thing? Like I remember when I was going to quit the law, I, I so as I was doing this whole, I was running a singles group in the DC area. It was like one of the top singles groups in the DC area. I just started it for fun as a meetup group and it grew to be huge. And I remember people, and then I went on 35 dates and 35 days and blogged all mm -hmm. about it. People were like, all right, all right, you need to be a dating coach. This is amazing. And I was like, you need to call my mom and tell my mom I'm going to quit the law and become a dating coach and like, tell me how that goes. And if it goes okay, maybe I'll do it because I was terrified because the expectations were right. Like, yep. this is the path I'm on. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is my story. I will let people down. I will make people unhappy. Like, I, so to go through change kind of means that, right? You're right. going to let some people down. You're going to, how can people do that in a way that doesn't defeat them and instead allows them to like keep moving forward? Well, I think one of the big things on that is owning the different types of change, right? Forced change where, you know, let's just say forced, unpredictable change, like a global pandemic, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, as a hypothetical, hypothetical yeah. you know, like <laughs> there, there might be a podcast episode of me in like early March being like, well, you know, by my birthday in June, this thing, like I can't see us wearing masks for much longer than that. Like, well, whatever. Like, like, so like I'm a futurist and change all about change, but I'm also one was like, where the hell did this come from? Right. So I think there's, there's part of this, like, unpredictable, unforeseen change. There's also change that is like, there are things that are driving change, right? And I think that's, that is the place where I like to kind of start it from. Cause it's like, well, are you, are you deciding to change? Cause it's something you want to do, right? Which let's be real. That's also one of the more scary kinds of change. Cause like you have to own that there's no one else's fault, but, but yourself, right? Like, cause it's like, wait a second. Like I, like, I mean, I remember like 
everyone advised me, my coaches, my mentors, like, do not give up your security clearance. Do not leave the government. Cybersecurity is taking off like everyone. And I was like, oh my God, like, am I going to do this? And, and, and part of it was like, I know myself very well. And I was like, I had got to a part where I had become so well set up that I was very, like, I was just going to mail it in for the next 10 years, making really good money. And I, I mean, and to this day, like, I still joke, like, the money I made as a government contractor my last year running this team is still more money than I've ever made in any year uh, since, right? Like, it's like, let's, let's keep that in uh, perspective. And so when I look at a lot of that change, right, not only is it, where is it coming from, but what's the motivation of the change? And then I think one of the things that we also have to kind of look at is how do we measure success of this change, right? Like, start with that success in mind, right? And we hear that a lot with a lot of things we're doing, but with change, sometimes we're like, well, I know that this is what I want to do and this is what I'm going to change and I'm going to, and we just kind of like, uh, you know, shift our, like our entire view and we lean into it. And then I'm like, well, you know, you did it for two years. Like, was it successful? And you're like, I don't think so. I'm like, oh, what was your version of success when you started? That's a good question. I didn't really picture. It's like, so you never allowed yourself to be successful. Like by, by never putting that as a, as a metric out there. Right. And like, and it's not like, and I, and I think sometimes this is where like, I had to learn to be better at setting goals, right? And some of these other aspects. But I've always been really good at like visualizing what success looked like for me in like the short term and the long term. But I would say one of the things that if you're looking at change, either forced, I think one of the things you have to do is you need to document more in your world than you've ever thought of, right? The little wins you have, the little losses you have, the, the little things you decide to do, the little you know big things you decide to do. And by documenting a lot of that, Yes, you might not ever go back to view it. We all have like those folders and the saved, save, save. Every time I hit save for later, I'm like, that's going somewhere that I don't even know where it goes because yeah. I'm, I'm never going, but it makes me feel good that I didn't just like delete the tab or whatever it may be. But I think that documenting, right, allows us to also have kind of like the acknowledgement of the steps. And I'm a huge believer in you must be your own biggest cheerleader. And if you aren't celebrating your wins along the way, Good luck. Yes. This is why we're this is why we're meant to be best friends. So I will tell you, I have what I call a celebrations jar, and I tell all my clients to create a celebrations jar. And I'm like, guys, the goals are great, but the goals are just a byproduct of all the actions that you took together. Let's celebrate the actions more because yes. this is where so this is where imposter syndrome actually kind of comes I'm, from. When yes. when you're not celebrating the steps you feel like it was just out of the blue or it was a fluke that you ended up there. Wow, like magically, you know, I got this thing, I got this client, I got this opportunity. But really it was every single step that you took that created it or didn't take, right? And so in the celebrations where I have like little celebrations written down on a piece of paper, everything from like go to the spa to just read a chapter of a book for fun or go text a friend for a drink or whatever. And when I take a step that's not a normal default read a step, I'll go in the celebrations jar, I'll pull it out and that's my celebration celebration for the day, right? Because yep. I think it is so important to celebrate the steps along the way. So I'm so glad I, you said I that. Love a lot that. of people celebrate goals. Right, but, they do. You know. And honestly, oftentimes the goals end up being the thing that start to drive us. And by doing that, it, it creates that limitation, right? Like I'm a, I'm a like, get, I, I like swim lanes, right? Like I was a swimmer in high school. Like I just like the idea that like, tell me that's where I need to go and let me bob and weave. Let me lean onto this lane. Let me, let me tread water for a little bit. Let me figure out like, are you, and I think that is like that, that beauty of that celebration. And I will also make this argument is that so many people right now, I believe one of the biggest limitations of putting your story out there, pressing the damn button is you'll, you will convince yourself, 
well, I don't want to like make people upset, upset about my success, or I don't want to rub this in other people's nose, or I don't want to be bragging. Oh my, this is where, like, I mean, talking about me, this is where I get fired up because if you are preventing yourself from feeling good because of the people that you care about their opinion, why the hell do you care about people's opinions that aren't happy for you being successful? Right? Like, yes. and it, now this took me too, right? Like, I had to, I shrank my circle, my inner circle. And then realized I shrank it to the wrong people. <laughs> like yeah. I shrank it to a bunch of like, quote unquote, leaders in my industry and people I looked up to. And all of a sudden I realized all of their advice and all the reasons they weren't celebrating my success was because they were scared. And they were they were like, I can't do what Brian's doing. Or if all of a sudden what Brian does is disrupting this old white guys, sharing old white guy stages with old white guys in the speaking industry, what the hell does that do for my business? And so I, I started to get this like jaded advice and people talking behind my back. And I'm someone that like, I do have like that complex of trying to make everyone happy, right? I love life and love people. And what I realized was I like expanded my circle back out and then I took a new approach. I'm like, let me bring people into my circle that are genuinely happy. And I think this is where we talk about that abundance and there's plenty for people out there. But I also think you have to be very methodical on like if someone isn't happy when you share something or they're like, oh, good for you for bragging. Like where are they, they're coming at that from a place inside of them that is of jealousy or of discontent or of, I can't do that. Or they want to you know have their own excuses. And, you know, I, I think for me, this was, I mean, I, I wrote it. I remember I wrote it. Uh, so the very first week of 2014, uh, LinkedIn rolled out like their LinkedIn article thing. And I remember I was like all excited because I was part of the beta. And my very first like post was um, why everyone needs to be there. Uh, we all, we all need to be the CEO and our own biggest cheerleader, right? Like, be here. and all, like, it got all this comment and all this feedback, and like some of it where people were coming at me, being like, "Oh God, Brian, like uh, you're just writing this because you're on LinkedIn and you got early access," and like they like they weren't even mad about what I was celebrating; they were mad at the fact of the platform I had the ability to celebrate it on, right? And it was like it was like this weird piece, and I think with with social media today, and and this maybe is a great place for people to kind of wrap their head around, like. If you could impact one person's life every day, 365 days a week, a week, a year, would you sign up for it? Hell yes. Would you, would like, I love that we can reach the world. I love that we have, we can go viral. There's a lot, but I truly like, I mean, and I mean, Clubhouse is doing this right now, right? Like I can go deeper with a relationship. I mean, Rita, even you and I having this, right? Like we probably should have done podcasts and, and collaboration years ago, right? But like, it took like, hey, we're connected on social. We give each other a thumbs up. But it takes that idea of like listening in getting to know someone. Also like that, hey, if you're going to spend the time listening to me, I'm going to spend the time listening to you. Apparently there's something that this can go a little bit further, right? And even shared connections, right? Like there's so many people that I'm connected with on Facebook that I will tell you, I've been connected with them for eight years. I know them less than the people I've had audio conversations on this ridiculous invite only clubhouse audio only app in the last month. Right. And it's, it is something to be said about like, like, don't be afraid to celebrate. Like the world needs your wins, right? We need to still like, and let's also remember if you're not winning or the things like, Hey, you don't have something to celebrate. I think it's upon us to celebrate others that are doing good things, right? Like we are so good at taking bad news and fake news and Corona news. And like, I mean, we live in DC, like beltway news, and we just love blasting that everywhere. And then we're like, I can't believe Facebook's so negative. I can't believe. And you're like, 
So how many times do you celebrate your friend's success? Or how many times do you celebrate a feel-good story for the fact that it's a feel-good story that you wish more existed? And I, you know, I own this too, right? Like I even, like, I love when you get like the end of the year report and it tells you like your most popular tweets, you'll post. And it's so funny because I was like, oh my gosh, like all the things, my popular content is me celebrating other people. Like, yeah. and like, I was like, so, and I was like, well, I probably should have done it more because I wasn't, you know, like as, as that piece there. So, you know, I guess that's where I, I believe if we want to drown out the bad news, if you want to do great things in this world, I believe we can't give the bad news more attention. We actually need to celebrate more of the good people doing good things because it's just going to drown out the bad news. It's going to drown out all this hate because we're going to have so much good and so many people doing great things that people aren't even going to have the motivation or inspiration or reason to rally and do all these bad things. Yeah, it's so good. You know, our brain and as a dating coach, our brain is wired to find the bad our, because it wants to protect us, right? Our brain is always wanting to protect us. Like, don't go into that situation. Don't talk to that person. Like, don't do this. This is what I'm trying to protect you and keep you safe, right? So in dating, people would go on dates and they would look for what's wrong, yes. right? Like, and they weren't doing it from a negative place. It was more just like, okay, see, he eats like this or he does or whatever, yep. whatever, whatever, right? But I'm like, instead, it, it, in the moment you want to criticize or you want to just rule somebody... Think of three compliments that you could pay that person. Yes. Right? Just You don't even have to say them, but at least think of them. And if you want to, then pay one, right? But in any situation, if you can just immediately start switching your way of thinking to looking for the good, looking for the compliment, looking for what's right and not what's wrong, you don't change anything else in your life but that perspective and your life starts to change, right? I got, I got, I got to tell you a little dating yeah. story here because I think this is perfect. So for me, after separation and, and figuring this out, um, I got to a place where my career was kind of taking off my connection with my daughters was at like, and I had had a long distance relationship originally and kind of like, um, and it, but it, the nice thing was, it's kind of like, we knew we had no expectations of it being anything more than what we had. And then I got into this like spot and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm okay with dating and meeting people, especially where I, where I travel. I was like, but I, because I was like, I don't want to be like the judging and have a checklist. I didn't like, I flipped it on its head. And I'm just curious what your thoughts said. I, I came out of the gate with every person on the first date within the first minutes, like us having a conversation. I'm like, Here's the deal. You're going to be the fourth most important person in my life for the rest of your life. If you can't own that, I, I, I understand. I'm a, my girls are my life. If they asked right now for me to come home, I'm going to come home. And I can tell you the first date went fine with that and ended up the second date. The person's like, oh, I, I can't handle not being first priority. <laughs> and I tell you what. We had a great dinner. We ended up going for a walk afterwards and, and we're still connected on social. And it was like one of those things where I was like, I just, a, I, I had so much respect for her being able to own that and being like, nope, that's not what I'm looking for now. But weirdly enough, like that's also been my approach to social and like a lot of what I do, right? Like I'm not putting out anything to polarize or to make people not like me. Cause I, I like I said before, I, but I'm putting out that like, this is me. Like I love being a girl dad. I have no problem wearing fluorescent pink and a backwards hat, right? Like I own that. I have Pittsburgh pride. I was born and raised Pittsburgh. I talk about Pittsburgh sports. I also have ADHD, right? Like I'm owning all these things, but I also believe like when I hear, I guess the reason I brought this back to the dating piece too, was yeah. it, if for me, I think there's something beautiful about being said about respecting others time and respecting like putting it. Hey, like, and I mean, Jennifer, my partner now, like she was so amazing. She's like, if you wouldn't make me your fourth priority and like, and I, and like weirdly what I found out like in that scenario was that I only wanted to date somebody that was a mom. Like that was a huge piece for me because not only do they have that connection, but I, I wanted to know that I, I was not going to like, they have like that ground. Cause I mean, I, 
being a parent is the greatest gift I've ever, you know, it's such an amazing thing. And so it's, it's so interesting because it allowed me, I actually got to a spot where it's like, I don't need anybody. I am good to go. I, I I'm putting out to the world who I am if things, you know, and, and it was exactly like three weeks to the day of me owning that, that I met Jennifer, right? Like, and which, yeah. which is like the, and I think like for like business, social media life, like there is something beautiful about just like owning who you are, yeah. being willing to put it out there because it comes with some risk and some reward, right? Like, I mean, I tell this story a lot, but like very first time I talked about my tattoos, like my daughter's names are on my chest. I lost three clients. I, and like, and like funny enough, like one of them ended up coming back a year later and still my client to this day. So like, I, I very <laughs> blessed. They, they kind of, but two of them were just like, um, Brian, I, we just don't appreciate that. You're, we don't know where you're going to go from here <laughs> was like their answer. And like one of them was a client of mine for like 18 months. Like it wasn't like, it was like, the other one was fairly new. Um, and I can tell you like that, like rocked me. Like, I mean, I was like, why maybe I shouldn't be myself. Like, holy crap. I just lost these three clients and you'll hear things like, well, now you got the right clients. And I, I like all of that, but I also want people to like, to remember that like, it requires baby steps. It requires a lot of like that risk versus reward I started off with, but it also, it allows us to be very comfortable in who we are always, right? Like I, I don't stress out about anything when it comes to like showing up to meeting someone. And it's not saying I don't get butterflies. It's not saying I don't get nervous. I'm not saying I don't put a lot of work into things, but I just know that I can just show up as myself and Man, life yeah, is but that's easier. because you trust yourself. That's because you trust yourself, right? So like, tr- but, and when yes. I talk about trusting, it's I trust myself to take action, but I also trust myself to navigate whatever results from taking that action. Oh, right? and I would, can I add on to that? Yeah. I also yeah. trust I will never settle for failure. Yeah. That to me, you work, I, I call that work it till it works. I will work it until it works. Whatever way that looks like, right? If it yep. doesn't work the way that I thought it would, I'll keep working it until it works and it could end up in a totally different spot that, but, but I'm going to work it till it works. Yep. You know? And I, and I might fail and I might fail for a considerable amount of time. And like, that was one of the things like, Oh, like failure is a necessary step on success. And I'm like, well, that kind of sucks. Cause I don't like want to fail. Like you, but then I was like, well, what does failure look like? And then I remember like failing and it hurting and it sucked and it like rocked me. And I'm like, well, why don't everybody say this? Like, no one like no one told me how much failure can really suck and rock you to your core. And I realized, and it was actually something my dad said to me like forever ago when I was like 14. And he was just like, son, I don't care. Like it's that Muhammad Ali quote, right? It's the idea, like, as long as you continue to get up from the canvas, right? Like keep you get up and keep getting knocked in the face, hopefully you're gonna learn. But you're probably gonna learn if you get knocked in the face like 40 times, right? Like, like there's like, and like for me, that's why, like, like the whole when I when I look at perfection, like. I don't want to fail and I know failure sucks and it hurts, but I know that it will never be the end all be all for me. And I will continue to push on. But see, so I'm going to, because this ties into your dating story, right? So this is what I noticed about, about when you said, Hey, so I I put this out there, but it's the way you did it. You worded those, we call it a velvet rope in dating. It's like, you're putting out your velvet rope. So only like the people that are the right fit will cross the velvet rope. Right. But, but you worded all of your velvet rope stuff stuff as an asset, not a liability. So I see a lot of people. So I had a client who was a single parent and she was like, oh, because of my, ch-, and she didn't mean to do this, but it was like, because of my children, I, I'm having trouble dating because of my children. I'm having trouble finding the right guy because, so she talked about her children as if they were a liability, Correct. right? So I had her for like 
I said, just switch it. They're an asset. They're bringing you to the right person. They're the reason that you're going to find. So her whole mindset changed. And boom, when you know it, she started attracting people that actually wanted a family, whereas before she was attracting people that didn't, right? Because they right. didn't care that she talked about them as a liability because they didn't want a family. But you worded everything, even failure, as if it's an asset, not a liability. So when you put those out there, that it's not something keeping you from something, but it's taking you to something, right? Then yes. that becomes, I will say though, my buddy, because he'll kill me if I don't say it, uh, Paul Brunson, who is, I mean, if you don't know him, everybody out there, look him up. He's a, he's right now uh, hosting a show in the UK called Celebs Go Dating, but he he had the number one matchmaking agency in the world and he worked for Oprah and um, and he became a business, you know, like a uh, the business columnist for USA Today, just a really great guy. But he says, Yes, but the minute you get married, right, he's like, I think your wife needs to have pr higher priority than your children because you're a parental unit. And if you don't pour into each other first, then the children are going to suffer, right? He's like, and so I always let my children see that I'm taking care of my wife and that she is a priority. And then together, collectively, we take care of our children, yep. right? So uh, yeah, there's, so something, there's something beautiful to, to that, right? I think that's also kind of like the beauty of of like a lot, you know, like, and for me, like I did the white picket fence, Catholic, married right out of college. You know, had the three kids, got the big house, had the um, you married thirteen years. Um, you know, and like my the moral that like when I was fourteen, my guidance counselor asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I said a dad, and he laughed, like literally laughed, and I like guidance counselor probably shouldn't laugh. He's he had known me since I was eight. <laughs> probably not. But yeah, he he he, he uh, actually went to my sixteenth birthday, my eighteenth birthday when I graduated college. Became like a guidance counselor, became a really good friend. But part of the reason for him is laugh. He was like the first person that's ever, and he, and his like words were like something to the, the fact. And uh, you know, Mr. Rudin, uh, he was like, you know, first person that was liked by everyone. That had all of these things like sports and things, you know, and like all the teachers were like, I love Brian. I just wish he'd shut up and sit in the chair, you know, whatever it may be. Um, he's like that that like put it out there, and I remember like that 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 feeling, right? Like of like, hey, this is such a priority to me. And I think to your point, like in like all of this, right, like it's putting out there and then realizing like together, we're going to figure out how we're going to work these priorities together. But at, there is a point where you might be the fourth on the list. Right. And like, mm -hmm. if you can't ever accept that being yeah. one part of this result, then we probably shouldn't ever be together. Right. And exactly. I, that to me, like, and I like, I, I so agree on this. And I, and I will tell you one of the biggest lessons for me, we're, we're, we're not only we both have kids, uh, we both have, we have a long distance relationship on top of it during a global pandemic, always uh, highly recommended, you know, not, <laughs> not one bit, right? Like, um, but one of the things that like, we've both also discovered is although our kids are under 10, they, they take joy and pride in seeing how happy I am because of how Jennifer treats me. Right. And, and because of that, I've also made it known when there's things where I'm like, this is what I'm doing for, Je and, you know, and it took, cause it took a while, right. There's like that dad guilt and there's like I mean, all of the things that go into that. Um, but I think that's like, there's such a moral to that to me. And I love where you took this whole conversation because I think it's so beautiful when we, you know, you start talking about authenticity and start being like trusting yourself, trusting that you don't need to be perfect, trusting that you are not in control of everything. And in most cases, the only things you are in control of are yourself. And sometimes that's like, I mean, I got a jar of Nutella in there and I tell myself every time I got self-control until like midnight, I'm like, I'm just gonna have two spoonfuls of Nutella every night uh, before I go to bed, right? Um, but I think that that is it. And I think there is this is where I look at social being the, the beautiful power to connect us with you know great people doing great things so together we can all amplify each other. 
but it requires us to put ourselves out there, give people access to who we are and really just trust in like that, that core of, of everything. And it's, it does require us to like push back on traditional thinking. And a lot of the things we've been like, you know, like I, and I, this is a whole other soapbox actually doing a clubhouse on this this week where like, I believe like, you know, politics, religion, and sex, like the reason that they are so contested at the moment is because we've been told since the beginning of time not to talk about them. Right. Like <laughs> we like, how do we, like we've added stigmas on things that we, we as a society deliberately made in the, in the, in the shadows. Yeah. And yet well, like, that ties back to the success. Yes. That ties back to, because money, women were taught, especially not to talk about money. Right. We're in a, we're in a Facebook group together actually. And, um, and somebody was talking about Clubhouse and how they don't like all these rooms that are like make six figures. or do, And I, I believe there's a difference in flexing versus like value. But I, I, I spoke up in there and said, I, I just did a room on everything I did not do to make six figures, right? Because this is something that I think people need to know. And somebody's like, I don't like to hear how much money somebody else made. And I said, I'm literally a business coach. <laughs> and if I am not transparent about how much money I make, what my expenses are, what my profit is, all that, I'm not doing a service to my clients as Correct. a business I'm keeping things hidden, right? Like, and so I love that you kind of you you brought that up because it's like I have to give access to, I have to, I have to destigmatize talking about money and talking about that success so that other people feel comfortable having these conversations that they need to have a healthier relationship yes. with money, you know? Yes. So and I love that you yeah, and I I think the lesson there too is speaking up, right? It's very easy to pile on. God, yes, I hate these people flexing. I hate people talking about money because it's, it's we're, we literally have done that all the time. But I mean, I do I do that a lot in some spaces where where people are just assuming they're gonna get the yes, Brian, like the and it's like, wait a second, no, I'm gonna call a bluff a bluff. And you know, I think there's also we can't let the one percent of bad actors alienate an entire conversation entire piece and that's what we do right by making those overarching statements like oh my god anyone who puts money in the title of their blog post or the title of their clubhouse is you know you know the people that are faking it and they're fraudulent and they're scam artists and they take advantage of people that are looking for the overnight success and like i had a new rule where i stopped blaming those people the one percent scam artist and started focusing on educating the 99 percenters that were following for them right like and I tell you what, it takes a lot of pressure off of me. Like I, yep. like when I see the one percent scam artists, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go educate these people that, how to do research, how to dig, yep. ding, how to make sure you don't buy the courses from all these random people that have fake testimonials from like the same circle of people, right? Like, and so I think that that is part of this too, right? It's like, yeah, I'm, right, I'm writing it down next because speaking up, right? Because what you're saying, like speaking up and doing that, right, requires trusting yourself yes. and knowing that, you know, you're not going to make everybody happy and that you can't control everything and only focusing on what you can control, which in this situation is, I can't stop these big rooms from from being fraudulent and making it sound like you can just, you know, sneeze and make money. But what I can do is start a podcast like this, where I talk about the reality of what it really yes. takes to to be a successful business and not like shame people for wanting to have a successful business. Amen. That's, and I'll tell you what, two of the biggest like flexes, like Gary Vaynerchuk took me under his wing in 2013, 2014. And he started the conversation in person. Fanzo, you push back on me more than anyone I know in our circle. Like, I I really appreciate that. Right. And it was like, I was like, yeah, because I'm not going to tell kids to sleep on their couch. Not, I, I, I like that. And like the people I'm working with, like I got family values that I like, and like we have different versions of success. And even I was in a room a clubhouse just this weekend and got tagged into it. And it was a huge room. And I, and I was like, and I honestly, I love the little rooms for the 99% of the time. And it was a huge room. And Grant Cardone was in the room. Everyone knows who Grant is. And Grant's comment 
in the room was, hey, let's throw this over to Fanzo because he's never afraid to push back at some of my rhetoric, right? And like, and honestly, I was lost for words, A, because the fact that he has set me up that way, right? Like, and, and Grant and I had like a relationship where I called him out one time after he got off stage because he mailed it in, like literally mailed it in. And I was so disappointed because I was so excited to follow him. I was the closing keynote and, and his wife was there with him. And I loved like, and, and it created a dialogue between us that I ended up like giving him some things that I do to get pumped up on stage and how I value eight people in the audience or 800 or 8,000. And, and funny thing about it was like when, I mean, the amount of people in that room that were sending me DMs like, dude, Fanzo, how'd you get on Grant's radar? Like I can't. And I was like, you missed the entire lesson was like the reason I became, he remembers me. And the reason, like the way he just set me up was the fact that he said, Hey, Fanzo's not afraid. And, and, and like, and literally my answer to like the bigger piece was on here was like, so I'm guaranteeing I'm not the expert in this room, but I'm going to tell you where I've been exposed to this kind of lessons. And these are what I've learned. And it was, yeah. I got done and it was like, this like, it's like the whole room had like this deep breath. And then there was the conversation went a different way. And a couple of people on that panel were like, Brian, like, thank you for having that courage. And honestly, my reply back was, I, I like to believe I would have had the courage to drive the conversation that way if Grant hadn't set me up. But I will tell you the courage I had in 2015 outside of a stage with Grant allowed me to continue having that courage yep. today. Right. And like, yeah, I that's love the that. beauty. I think that's so good. It's such, and it also like d dating business, like analogy. It's like when you share your points of view, when you just give like, Hey, this is how this made me feel, or this is healthy people will always respond in a healthy way, right? Yep. So like, so I met Grant and Elena when they were speaking at Women in Power X in Florida. Oh, yeah. I was the, I was the MC for that and Elena was the um the main speaker, right? Yep. And so um so I happened to know that they respond to things in a very healthy, normal way, right? So the people who will react poorly, it's just like a blessing. It's like, thank you for showing me that there. this is just not a, a situation that I really need to invest a lot of time and energy in uh, dating or otherwise, right? Because right. you are responding in like a non-healthy way. It's not my job to fix you. So I need you to go fix yourself. And then I will be, so like feeling comfortable and it taps back into that trust again of like, if I say this, I trust myself to A, say it, but I also trust myself to navigate whatever happens. Maybe Grant blows up at me. Maybe Grant, cool. I will navigate that and figure that out to my success because I'm able to do that. Once you have that, like, so I love, I love all the points that we had. I could talk to you forever because I had like 10 other things, right? That I want to talk to. I'm going to have to have you back so that sure. we can talk about some of these other angles that I wanted to talk about. But um, Brian, I wanted to say thank you so much. If you wanted to leave like my audience with just like, one statement, one, one, I love actionable stuff, right? It's re my company is Rita Mimi do it. My clients name my company. Cause I, I challenge this girl to do a Facebook live one day and she gets on Facebook live and she's like, I've never done a Facebook live before, but Rita made me do it. And so here I am. And then all my clients started using hashtag Rita made me do it. And I went and changed my company name, got the domain, like changed it with a state corporation, get, did, got the pat, you know, the trademark, did it all. I was like, that's it. That's the name. That's me. That's authentic. Rita made me yep. do it right there. So if you could leave the listeners with some action that they can take to be able to trust themselves so they can tap into this authenticity and show it to the world what would you give them a couple of things that they could actually just go do and implement? So I think, you know, video, um, video is the scariest thing to, to take on, but I believe it's the, the place that allows us to be our most authentic self without so many other variables being in place. And, and, and I think when, when we think about video being intimidating, like it's just, cause it is, it's like not normal. And so 
one of the places I always challenge people is that like, if you've not done video content or video, putting yourself out there on video, try to FaceTime more with your family, right? Like looking into your phone, like doing that, just like start, start by doing things where it's a controlled environment, you know, like, you know, you're, they're going to, cause I think we, we have sometimes a tendency to be like, Oh, if I get a video, like I'm going to put it out to the world. And, and just FYI, like there's a lot of my videos that have five views. Right. And like uh, probably two of them on my team. So like, Although we, we think the world might watch, there's more often than not, like nobody's watching in that case. But when we start thinking about that, like that's a great place to start, right? Just like start doing a little bit more video on that side. And then another one is start documenting like your life and things on video with no intention of it going anywhere, right? Like right now I have a, I, I almost every single week since uh, my separation, I've recorded a video to a Google Drive folder that has not been viewed by anyone and not been put out to anyone anywhere. And a lot of it is me going through a lot of what I needed to go through. And some of it's talking to my girls and some of it's like, oh, girls, like we're, we're, I'm remembering what happened that week or like what they drove me crazy with. Um, and I can tell you it was a cathartic thing for me because not there was a time during the pandemic where I just didn't want to put out content. Like I was just like, meh. But I was still doing the video because I understood its role there. So get comfortable. Sometimes capturing things with no intention of showing them to anyone because then you're going to get used to that like process right i think there's something beautiful and all of a sudden you're like well i know this is my first video public but i, I i've had 35 days of you know like of doing video straight that no one's ever watched and i'm good now like i i, I know where to hold the camera i know whatever that may be yeah, another actionable one is you know rather than starting to like oh my goodness i gotta put myself out there start amplifying those that align with your purpose and passion. Just like write down a couple of people and like make it your mission. Like I have a couple of people in my world that I go to their blog or I go into actually one of them is fed into my RSS feed and I immediately share it out every, cause I'm like, you know what? This person, the more people that hear this person's message, the easier my message is going to be and the better the world's going to be. Right. So like my, that, that second actionable place is just like, just go out of your way to amplify other people. And then probably the last one, and, and I think this is just because we can serve, like, say thank you more. Like, say thank you more to people that help you, something that, that, that shared. Because we have a tendency to, like, give a thumbs up on a post or, like, oh, my goodness, someone shared something. But you won't believe how much a thank you goes for someone that's a million follower creator and someone that's never created before. And the interesting thing about saying thank you for what they're sharing or what they're talking about, it oftentimes will will not only give you a sense of like where you're at, but it will oftentimes start a dialogue. Like, well, everyone that says thank you to me and you guys feel free to test this. And I often say like, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so, I appreciate that feedback. What about that resonated with you? And all of a sudden we're starting a dialogue and a couple of people that have become really good friends of mine, they literally got through the gated wall, quote unquote gated wall of, of literally just saying thank you to me, creating a dialogue. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know that about like, actually there was someone um, in one of the rooms on Clubhouse the other day uh, and he has a stutter and he has a, his whole, his whole mission is to help educate and inspire people that have a stutter to, to own it and put themselves out there. And I had a stutter all through uh, middle school and high school. And I tell you what, the funny thing was like, we had this great talk, but the way he said, thank you in the DM fostered a really detailed conversation to where I have a zoom call with him tomorrow. Right. Like, and like, there's something beautiful about starting with thank you. Right. And, I, and I'll, I'll kind of wrap up like saying this, like, I believe if you want to be good on social media, you want to stand out, you want to build a brand, you want to be authentic. If you show you care more than everyone else, you will never go wrong. Nobody has ever said you care too much. 
No one has ever said that. And I think if you can start by that, so like when you're making an ask, go to their blog, see what they care, what they're talking about. If you're going to, if you're going to, you know, let's say you're going to reach out to somebody or you're going to reply. What we oftentimes do in this case is we will reply where we like to communicate. And if you truly care about somebody and you want the best chance to succeed, communicate where they prefer to be communicated with. And I think that little bit of caring can go a long way. And I think if we can each do our part of caring a little bit more, I think together we can uh, make this whole world a better place. And I will gladly come back on. This was awesome. I loved every minute of this dialogue. Loved it. And uh, we'll get together soon uh, when we can for yes. a beer because you're just down the way. And guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Brian, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you more? Where is that place? Where is the best place to find Brian? Now? So I am iSocialFans, uh, which is my company, on every social channel, including Clubhouse, uh, everything that exists. Uh, and then you know, I have iSocialFans.com where a lot of my content is. And if you're into the speaking or a bit like the virtual event speaking world, uh, BrianFanzo.com uh, is my website for that. So I have two websites but uh i mean you pick any social network that exists in the world and i can promise you there's a i social fans account on there and i'm probably active so uh i always tell people uh you know i create a lot of content put a lot of things out there uh check me out there and stay tuned i have um a cool project called misfit mafia uh which is you know a a tribute to steve jobs and the misfits that are going to change the world and i have a email newsletter i have a entire program around that that's my club on uh, on clubhouse as well uh and really just trying to get together with those that are the rebels those that are willing to do whatever we can to make the world a better place yeah i love it and i can't believe we didn't even really talk about virtual events or tech or anything like that. So that's what I'll have you on for next time. But guys, if you are in that world, please check Brian out. You're going to love everything he does. I know I do. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I will catch you next week on another episode of the Rita Mimi Do It Show. Hey, before you go, thank you for listening to my show. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a review. It'll only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the Read and Me Do It show. And my goal is to share this business boosting and life changing content with as many people as possible. In fact, because I value your time so much, every month one reviewer will win a free coaching call with me. So if you want to get laser focused and go all in on the results that you most want in your business, then leave a review now. And then head on over to readamamedoit.com where you can find the show notes from today's episode.